Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models episode 126. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jujitsu approach. And today we have a returning champion, Ms. Livia Giles. Livia, good to have you back. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me back on. So I'm excited because I am going to guess that what we're going to talk about today Maybe the first time this topic has ever been explored on a podcast. Maybe ever. It's something that actually I don't think as a community we talk much about. And that topic is pregnancy and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So, of course, you're the ideal guest for this because, and my congratulations, you're expecting. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, exciting. A bit different to do jiu-jitsu, but <laughs> doing what we can. That kid is Definitely going to be like a world champion in about 15, 20 years. I can tell you for certain. <laughs> I, reckon, I reckon he's going to hate jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, Matt and I, you know, our kids are, you know, prior to the lockdowns and the pandemic, they were of the age where they were just kind of getting old enough that we could get them on the mats. And so it's, I'm looking forward to getting them back on because it's just, it's such a great activity for kids. I really wish I had discovered jiu-jitsu at a younger age than I did. Uh, don't we all? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so with that said, how far along are you, if you don't mind me asking? So I'm 21 and a half weeks, so that just a bit over halfway at the moment. So mm. yeah, getting closer, but still quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm curious at this point, because you're still kind of like relatively early on, how have you found that's impacted your training? I mean, you you train a lot harder than I do. I'm a hobbyist. So I I watch your Instagram videos and I <laughs> am well aware that you're training at a totally different athletic level and with a lot more variance. What do you find has changed since you become pregnant? Because obviously this is a pretty big, significant change to your routine. Yeah. I mean, everything has changed. <laughs> I think, look, to be honest, for the past year, everything's changed because of the lockdown. So I've probably stopped being as crazy as I used to be with overtraining. I had pretty big issues with overtraining and not actually resting enough and getting off the mat. And so I think if anything, the pandemic has taught me is that I've probably improved the most not training as much. So mm -hmm. at least the leading to being pregnant, I've been slightly more used to that. <laughs> I mean, obviously you have to limit yourself a lot mm -hmm. when you're when you're pregnant. So, you know, going from training twice or three times a day, including weights, to once a day if, if I'm feeling good <laughs> or sometimes twice. But I guess jiu-jitsu is pretty dangerous. <laughs> it's not the best activity to do when you're pregnant. So I've been lucky enough to have amazing training partners that I can still do a bit of training. But 
Yeah, look, generally I try to do something every day, which is either some rolling, running, which I hate, or doing some weights. So obviously not lifting very heavy, not running very far because your heart rate gets really high. And every day is a little bit different. So I have to really change how I roll and and what I do and how I do it so I stay safe. Well, it's interesting because I I actually have a lot of friends who are female, black belt, and are pregnant at the moment. And most of them are kind of trying to figure out a way as to how they can stay in shape and continue and stay sharp while they're pregnant. And, you know, of course, there's it is a combat sport, right? It's relatively safe as far as combat sports go. But of course, anyone's going to be concerned. And so there's always a big discussion around like, well, how do you change things up? And of course, it's made doubly weird because so many places have had to alter everything due to the pandemic already. So this adds an extra wrinkle. Now, I don't know if you would agree with me on this, but I, I've always felt, I mean, and it's changed a lot, but you know, jujitsu is, it's always been very patriarchal to me in a lot of ways. It's felt that way. You know, you got a lot of men who take the sport. It's a very male dominated sport. And of course, any, any man who takes a martial art they're going to like imagine this fantasy where they're this like protector badass warrior. And so I, one thing I have noticed is that nothing in jujitsu terrifies men more than pregnant women. Like the idea of training with a pregnant woman is, is scary because, you know, men are used to going intensely when they're training. And I mean, it's already scary enough trying to injure someone, but when you're training with someone who's pregnant, especially, you know, if you're a guy and you're not really used to being in that situation, I found that a lot of guys get really scared and they're, they're afraid to, or they don't understand how to. And I would wonder what, what has your experience been like? How has this kind of changed the dynamic of the partners that you train with in terms of the people at your gym? Do you have to be selective? Are there do's and don'ts in terms of rules that you say, like, just absolutely don't do this? I'm, I'm wondering what your feeling has been on the matter. Yeah. So look, I've been fairly lucky that I've got some amazing male and female training partners in saying that I mainly roll with women these days, and that's just because of the size. So there's a few different factors. Like first trimester, I mean, going by doctor's advice, the biggest risk factors were overheating, obviously trauma to the stomach, and then getting swept or falling down really hard. So at the start, my rules were, you know, I can protect myself, but don't chase me if you sweep me. I'm going to like fall over. Don't wrestle me across the mat. I'm going to fall over. Mm-hmm. And obviously no kicking, no, well, like if you frame against my tummy, I can move away. So as long as it's slow, but if you start being kicking open guard, that's a uh, big no-no to me. And obviously mm-hmm. like obvious things like don't knee on belly. Don't try to like do a diving knee cut pass. Or if you take yeah. my back, do not do a body triangle, things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously changed a bit the bigger I get and the more far along I go because things are getting a bit uncomfortable and I've got a tummy now. So at the start, I think it was maybe hard to remember to some people just because I wasn't showing. But look, my main training partners are either black belt or like advanced males that are relatively light. And it just depends when I choose those roles because if I go to a pro session and and some of the guys have been wonderful and saying like you can still come I know what it feels like to miss out and I'll always like roll with you but I'm also very aware it's their their harder training session and I've got no business in training hard right now you know so I probably stay away from those sessions just so I'm not a really crappy training partner for the guys Mm -hmm. with the girls 
I have a couple of blue belts that I really enjoy rolling with. And I did have to coach them through a little bit uh, just because, you know, not not by any malicious means. They, they just have a little bit less control than higher belts. So I've got a couple of wonderful blue belts and the rest are my sort of purple, brown, black belt ladies that are, I trust them enough that if they go to recover guard and it means they have to put the foot in my tummy to make a frame, they just don't do it and they mm-hmm. let me pass. And I'm very aware of that, you know, and I always go like, thank you. I know, I know you would have recovered, you know, let's keep going. So I think with the guys, what you were saying that they don't know how to train with women, it's true. I mean, it's a big responsibility that I'm putting on people. And I am also aware of that. There's a couple of guys that have never said it, but I can sense that they're a little bit uncomfortable just because they don't want to hurt me and I just don't ask them anymore just because I don't want to put that on someone, you know, like it, it, it's a, it's a choice. Like I accept the risk that I could possibly get hurt, but I guess if someone doesn't want to, I'm not going to force them either. <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. It's interesting. I was talking to my wife shortly before we recorded and I was telling her, you know, I'm going to be talking to a world champion about pregnancy and jujitsu and something that my yeah. wife brought up. We've got a four-year-old daughter is when she was pregnant, I mean, she's an athlete as well. And she was very frustrated because when she was pregnant, the world's expectation was basically that she would do nothing for nine months. They're like, you can't do anything. You basically have to just sit down. There were even people advising her, you know, don't do yoga. They were even saying, and a lot of that is really, I mean, I am absolutely not an expert. So I really hope that people don't listen to this and think that Dr. Steve is telling you do this or don't do that. (laughs) But it really seems to me to be not good advice to tell people basically like do nothing at all. Abandon your life for nine months. I mean, for the duration of pregnancy, you know, right up until the end, you can remain pretty active, can you not? I mean, I, I know that you are specifically a physio, so you may have some understanding of this. I mean, are, is it not the case that you can still do a degree of things safely, especially, you know, early to midway through, or am I wrong on that? No, no, absolutely. I mean, look, uh, I have to say I'm a physio, but it's been a little while since, not, since I've done women's health, but I do like try to look at, you know, evidence-based studies about exercising pregnancy i talk to my obstetrician all the time you know so even his advice was you can roll relatively safely up until 16 weeks and then the the baby comes up a little bit so things become more dangerous so basically up until 16 weeks he was saying if i get if anything happens it's probably not because of jiu-jitsu after that i have to start being extremely careful but look i think jiu-jitsu is an extreme example i to be honest if i was a white belt or even a blue belt, I would probably opt out for the nine months from jiu-jitsu, maybe do some drills, just because I think if you don't know the limits of your body and you don't have enough control that like if some your partner does the wrong thing, you can actually still mount them or have enough confidence to say like, stop your, you know, this is dangerous. I think that's a problem and you, you shouldn't be on the mat. <laughs> That's a really good point because I remember I was just talking to someone else earlier today about this. I mean, I remember when I was a white belt and a blue belt, I was getting injured left and right because neither you nor the other person fully understand what body safety means. So you're doing all manner of dumb things. But after I got to purple belt... From purple belt through to where I am today, I rarely get injured anymore just because I know how to protect my body and my opponent knows how to not do stupid things. And 
I always feel like I know if I'm rolling with a black belt, I don't care if they're a hundred pounds heavier than me. I know I'm not going to get hurt. It just isn't going to happen. It is so rare that someone experienced is going to, to hurt you in a friendly role because they know how the body is supposed to move. Whereas for, I mean, God, with white belts and blue belts, you know, there's like elbows and knees flying all over the place and headbutts and fingers to the eye socket and just injuries happen at that level. So I think if you're selective, that's one thing, but like, like you said, you're not experienced if you're a white belt or a blue belt and or if your opponent is, maybe best to put jujitsu on ice for a while and do something else. Yeah, I think it is very individual. The other thing is, you know, you do have to go by doctor's advice. Like, So I absolutely doubt that many people ever encourage to do nothing for the nine months. Mm-hmm. However, there is times like well first trimester some women get extremely sick and to the point where they can't get up they can't work they can't exercise and by the time that eases you know they've been out for about whatever 12 weeks or a bit less and they don't feel like coming back to training so I didn't have bad morning sickness or generally exercise makes me feel better and I'm coaching so I'm kind of forced to go to the gym anyway the other thing is you might have some conditions that prevent you from actually exercising, you know, like, so if, if you're, if you're told to have bed rest because of, it might be an issue with your cervix or so on, you have to be on bed rest. Like that's not negotiable. That's like survival of yourself and your baby. So mm-hmm. there are cases where you really can't do anything, but they are rather rare. And all the evidence seems to point towards staying active during your pregnancy quicker, means quicker recovery and and it's obviously healthier for you and controlling your blood pressure and weight and so on. So I honestly go for like by what my body feels and what my doctor says but also I really like exercise and I like training and I, you know, like I, I actually just really like it. So I do it and some people hate it, but. <laughs> but I really do like what you brought up about keeping this evidence-based and listening to your doctor. I mean, yeah. notoriously people who do jujitsu are terrible at listening to doctor's advice. Mm. I would presume that most people who are pregnant listen very carefully to their doctor, but a general population in jujitsu, you know, <laughs> I know so many people who stupidly try to train through injuries without rehabbing them. I mean, as, as a physiotherapist, I'm sure you've seen this where people just do the, the worst possible thing. And I, I have always found, you know, whenever I get any sort of meaningful injury, even if it's not terrible, but if it's enough that prevents me from training regularly, I always go to a physiotherapist or a doctor if necessary, and I always follow their advice. And as a result, I've been able to train 13 years in this sport without really ever, I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but without ever really having any serious injuries that put me off for a long time. And uh, I mean, if there's ever a situation where you'd want to listen to doctor's advice, it would be this particular one if, if you're pregnant, right? So I definitely am glad that you're advocating for that. And now I would ask, as someone who who's in this situation now, are there any types of game plan that you find are actually like totally effective to train when pregnant? I, I would presume, for example, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I would yeah. presume that positional sparring from like turtle or leg lock positional sparring is probably a lot safer to do in this context than, you know, pretty much any other part of jujitsu. I would assume that those would be safer, but I, I don't know. You tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yes and no, actually. So, um, I mean, the big thing is that uh, using your abs is a little bit of a no-no. So, Mm. early on in the pregnancy, using your abs can actually impede the blood flow to the placenta. So, you have to be very careful with that. And then where I am at now, the more I use my abs, the more likely I get to get abdominal split in my my abs. 
you know, pretty much like you tense your abs and your gut can fall out. Well, not fall out, but it comes out, right? And so the recovery is a lot longer. After that, you can have complications. So I really avoid, well, A, holding my breath and using my abs, mm-hmm. which makes playing guard and jiu-jitsu pretty hard. Yeah. The other consideration you have to have that probably from probably from around 20 weeks, you really want to avoid being uh, on your back, so supine, for prolonged periods of time because it can actually like press down on your organs and your your arteries and veins, which can be really dangerous to the baby as well. So if I do play guard, it's mainly sit-up guard or sort of playing de la Hiba guard with really relaxed abs for like up to mm-hmm. a minute at a time. And it gets really uncomfortable because now the tummy is in the way. So guard is, I'm not playing much guard. I spend like a year getting good at barambolos and that's kind of out now. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I think maybe you're going to have to leave that game plan in the dust for now. Yeah, so bolos are, are getting too hard. But passing feels pretty good and especially passing like over under passing. So if I can get in and do slow controlled pressure. And then if I have women that I trust to do open guard and I I can go around and be, I can't be too fast. And especially because the other complication you have is relaxin. So the hormone that Mm -hmm. makes your ligaments really loose in preparation for childbirth is like peaking from around 14 weeks. So me not having an ACL and, and so on, things can get a little bit, uh, loose and, and a bit dangerous when you're speed passing as well. So I have to be very mm-hmm. controlled. With leg locks, I do. I don't mind doing leg locks. The only problem is that a lot of the defense is putting your foot on the tummy or putting your foot in mm-hmm. the groin. So it, it kind of, I mean, it, everything is kind of unfair because my training partners have to stop themselves. But again, I choose really controlled training partners that they can't defend the the way they usually would. So they can't actually do the proper defense, you know. And turtle from top is good, but again, sometimes taking the back when I have to change sides to roll for hooks, it means I have someone on my, like the weight is on top of me. So it yeah. can get a little bit tricky depending on the angle you choose. And, and if it does, I just stop and I go, okay, I can't do that today or I can't do that anymore, you know. But, yeah, it... Specific training from like f- from the top feels the best for me. I'm not sure if that's the same for everyone. Well, I'm wondering if, because you brought up a good point about how speed is the enemy here, right? And in a lot of ways, that is just a commonality in jujitsu. You know, I was talking to another black belt recently and we were talking about how like when it comes to injuries, speed is the scary thing most of the time. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really that concerned sparring with someone who's big, as obnoxious as that may be. I'm concerned about sparring with someone who's fast because that's when I know yeah. I'm going to get injured, especially if they're inexperienced and fast. And yes. the way that when I'm coaching, the way that I often train that out of people so that they focus more on specific improvements is we give them very tailored drills and very tailored sparring scenarios, right? So we'll say, for example, you know, if if I want people to learn how to grip properly, we'll say one person's on top, one's on the bottom. You guys are just doing engagement. You're negotiating the grip fight. As soon as someone wins the grip fight, you're done. Reset, start again. And that takes out transitions. And by doing that, you take out scrambles and speed. And I would presume that that probably also is good if you have a training partner who is pregnant or maybe they're otherwise concerned about rehabbing an injury because if you're just doing positional things, it I would guess you're way less likely to actually experience any sort of damage. 
Yeah, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think positional sparring, I think I improved the most that way. I, at the moment, to be honest, I'm just kind of enjoying moving. So I know that when I'm rolling, it's I have actually improved some bits of my game, but it's not super realistic. So it's hard to know. Like, I'm just enjoying the movement of it. You know, if, if someone went full blast at me, I don't know that I could defend myself safely. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I just, like, I honestly just avoid any beginner white belt, especially guys, because they're just too big. Going back to the speed issue, it's an interesting one for small and big people. So, yeah, you're right. My number one fear is someone big going fast and using the strength, okay? So that's a big no-no. The second fear is someone big just being fast. So for me, I am obviously usually a bit smaller, but I can use my speed. So generally, person who's bigger than me, and especially men when they roll with me, they have to go less strength. And I can go more speed because I'm small, so I'm probably not going to hurt them. However, the general reaction to more speed is also more speed. Like the Mm -hmm. guys feel like they have to keep up the speed. And I'm not as fast as explosive men because I'm a woman, you know, like that's just a fact. So if you add, like they're still going to be faster than me, but when they add the speed, they also add power because it's really hard to be fast without the power. So force equals mass times acceleration, right? If they're big and they're moving fast, there's a lot more force than if they're little and they're moving fast. Exactly. And uh, yeah, and if they accidentally fall or flop on you, which because you do change your technique when you're rolling with someone different size, whether you're smaller or bigger. So if you accidentally misstep or fall on someone when you're going fast, you can really hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. So my advice is actually to smaller people, if you're rolling with someone bigger, don't try to compensate by going super fast because they're probably going to respond with going faster, you know? Yes. Yes. I love that you say that. And that, that applies beyond just, you know, being pregnant. That is just general good advice when training with big guys, because I mean, if you start speeding up, you are generally creating an arms race, right? And that's going to force your opponent to speed up as well. If they're untrained anyway, it will, right? Because yeah, your natural reaction when you're confronted with a stress like that, someone who's really fast and aggressive, your body is going to go into either like fight, flight, or freeze, right? And if the person decides to go into fight mode, they're going to match your intensity. And that's not the game you want to play if you're you're outgunned, right? I find that when I'm dealing with a bigger, stronger person, what I want to do is not go faster. I want to slow them down sometimes. And that that can be very counterintuitive. But as a gi player primarily, like I don't want to turn into a speedball where I'm bouncing around and forcing them to to do the same unless I know that I can prevent them from doing that. But if they're like standing up and I'm playing seated guard, I mean, I don't want to go totally spazzy because I know it's going to end up a lot worse for me than it is for them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, it takes years to learn how to roll safely with people, different skill levels and different sizes. It's it's a skill that's actually quite hard to develop because a lot of the times you look around the room and you see advanced people going hard and fast and people try to emulate that. They think everything is a fight, whereas, you know, we we try to always say like roll at 60, 70% of your capacity And if you don't know something, don't do it harder and faster. There's actually like every grip, every step has a purpose in jiu-jitsu. It's just hard to like, you can hear all of that and it's, it's hard to do. You're not going to do it in your first six months of jiu-jitsu, you know? Yeah. So it is a hard skill, but yeah, look, I am lucky enough to just 
pretty much just stick to the women at my club and it I am lucky enough to have so many advanced and wonderful girls that are willing to help me a little bit because you know like everyone gets injured or some people might get pregnant and and it all comes back as well being a good training partner yeah the thing that i found challenging the last time i i had a bad injury i had a, a knee injury and it got to the point where I was on the rehab path and I was ready to go back to the mats, but it was nowhere near a hundred percent. And yeah. the challenge that I had to learn, you know, and, and this came very unnaturally to me, but I had to learn to tap before it's time, right? I had to learn that yeah. like, look, I'm rehabbing from an injury. I am not in a state where I can go gun to gun with someone. So I have to learn that if, if I feel danger, I have to just tap. Right. And I, I remember I was, you know, training with like some Sambo guy. And as soon as I just got that, like, I knew he was going for some weird, like Kani Basami yeah. type thing. And I'm just like, I'm done. I'm, I'm just tapping now. I'm not going to play this game. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And it's hard for us to do because especially at a, you know, when we're younger and we're less experienced, we think it's a fight. Right. We, I mean, that's actually yeah, one of the areas yeah. where I think people get confused about jujitsu is they think it's, it's not a fight, right? I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a sport. And we like to think, especially when we're young, we're inexperienced, we treat it like a fight, like it's live or die. Yeah, exactly. But what winds up happening is people hang in there way longer than is smart for them. And a turning point for me was, I remember I was sparring with a black belt who was like, he was a hobbyist. Uh, he was a business professional. He, he was actually really tough, but mm -hmm. he, he would tap from pretty much anything, right? Just even yeah. before submission was in, if, if he thought yeah. there was going to be some sort of danger zone, he would just yeah. get out of there and restart. And it's hard to develop that, that feeling that just like, okay, I know probably I could gut this out, but I know it's a stupid thing to do. So I'm just going to tap and we'll reset, right? There's no harm in doing yeah. that in the gym. It's hard to develop that. And I assume that in, 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 you know, when you're pregnant, obviously you need to be extra sensitive to that. Yeah. I mean, you do. Uh, and look, I haven't really had, I've had experiences, maybe a couple of guys forgetting and trying to body triangle me and I just have to remind them that like you actually really can't do that or I've had someone say you know they just went a tiny bit too hard on me and one person said oh I just I don't want to treat you like a pregnant woman I want to treat you like an equal and I'm like uh no I am a pregnant woman and you have to like I this is not the time not to be sexist like the, yeah. <laughs> I am a pregnant woman like and that's how you need to treat me because it's not an ego thing I'm actually putting my baby's life at risk you know <laughs> like it's so you have to kind of remind people sometimes yeah I, I think maybe some people misunderstand what equality means right like equality equality is a very different thing from taking into account someone's current physical situation yeah yeah right so I think I'm just very clear with if I don't feel like they're going to listen, you know, or, or not that they're not going to listen. People just don't know. And it's the same as when you're rolling with an injured person, right? And like first person comes up to you, go, oh, just watch my right knee. And then the second person is like, oh, watch my left elbow. And you're injured yourself or you're working on a game or something. And it's actually really hard to remember everyone's injuries and what you can and can't do. So I think reminding someone is not a bad thing because you can't, like, it is hard when someone's like trying to work on a specific grip, they're not really concentrating on your right knee or whatever mm -hmm. I saw that day. So it is something that, you know, you have to remind people and coach them through it. And, and if you don't feel comfortable, just don't roll. Like that's, that's kind of what I do now. Yeah. 
Yeah. As I get older, I'm much more sympathetic to people's ongoing nagging injuries, and I've kind of learned to pay attention to that. But like you said, you can't expect other people to be fully responsible for your physical situation, right? I mean, yeah, at the beginning of the role, you can say, watch out for this, watch out for that. But if you start dialing up the tension and going 100%, the other person's going to too, right? So a big part of it is is not just telling them, but also making sure that you take ownership of the situation too. Because obviously, I mean, injuries are a great example, right? If, you're, if your knee is all screwed up, you probably shouldn't be going 100% and getting into games where you're going to be like shooting doubles on your bad knee or going into like deep into leg lock scenarios where you might get your heel ripped off. You know, these are, these are situations where the best thing for you to do, you know, yeah, it's great to tell your training partner what's up, but the best thing for you to do is to also take ownership of the situation and just immediately tap out and bail if- yeah the situation is getting uncomfortable absolutely yeah it's i mean it's longevity so i would imagine that most people want to do jiu-jitsu for a very long time not for the next six months so i guess the goal should always be like what do you want your jiu-jitsu to be in five years time for example you know not not in the next six months because then you're going to train accordingly i think yeah, it's the typical like short-term versus long-term thinking, right? Sometimes the thing yeah. you need to do for the next, you know, five months is very different from the thing you need to do, do for the next five years. And I, I think that's something that people have trouble understanding sometimes, right? They, they think there's just one path to success, but often the weird thing is often your short-term and your long-term goals might be at odds with each other. So that's a challenge that a lot of people have trouble figuring out in their heads, right? How do I do what I need to do in the short term, but at the same time, be true to my long-term goal? And I mean, this is a great example, right? If you have a physical situation that alters your training, one of the worst things you could do is fail to acknowledge that and just act like it's, you know, nothing is different. I mean, especially if you're pregnant, but... Like, like I said, I mean, that's obviously not a situation that I have first experience with, but even in the context of injuries, you yeah. need to acknowledge the limitations of, of your body and what your body needs at any given moment. Because if you screw things up, you're going to wind up way worse off. Yeah. I mean, like, look, it also depends on the goals a little bit. I think if you're, if you're relatively young and you're training to actually become a world champion, you need to be a little bit crazy. You know, you're not going to win a world title by flow rolling every day but you're also probably not going to last long enough if you're like going world war three twice a day every day so you have to find a right balance i do think if you want to if you're competing to be truly the best in the world you you have to be a bit nuts like because you need to have the intensity and you need to have the drive like have that instinct to try to actually kill someone in a match but at the same time like it's all about technique you're not going to win anything major just by like having good intensity so it yeah. is a good mix but if you're not training to compete if you're not training to or even training to compete but not necessarily you know black belt level adcc gold medal then don't train like that i, I don't think it's really worth the injuries and so on it's interesting we talk to a lot of world champions who bring up this idea of to really succeed at the highest levels, you have to be a bit insane. And I, I think that's true, right? Because by definition, what you have to sacrifice to achieve that level, by mm. definition, it is kind of a little bit crazy, right? We had yeah. Travis Stevens on the podcast talking about his Olympic runs in judo and how he coaches people who want to follow a similar path. And he said that one of the biggest services he can offer as a coach 
is telling people, you know, this is what you're going to have to sacrifice. Are you really ready for that? Right? Because if you want to be, if you want to achieve at that level, you really have to sacrifice every other part of your life in pursuit of that goal. Right? I mean, do you, are you willing to sacrifice your family relationships, for example, to put judo first? Because you might have to do that. And that, that is by definition a little bit insane. So you've got to be open about what you really want in life and how to, how to achieve those goals. And, and that's something that I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, they say, Oh, I want to be champion XYZ. But when push comes to shove, they're not willing to really make the sacrifices that are required to get there. And that's, that's not yeah. a shameful thing, right? And in fact, in a lot of ways, it might be the saner rational course of action. But yeah, I agree with you that you have to be a little bit nuts to succeed at that level. Yeah, you absolutely. I mean, you have to be. It's it's sacrificing a lot of things. It's, you know, weight cuts, it's traveling. It's also like not like a lot of athletes tend to live on poverty line because they're training and they don't want to work. And it's many things, you know, it's, it's also sacrificing your body. Like I know when I was getting ready for ADCC, I had quite a few, like not major injuries, just little niggly injuries. And my SNC coach, there's this fine line between like, oh my God, this hurts. I can't train to like, you're not going to have a prep for something like ADCC or Olympics or Worlds without mm-hmm. something hurting because you're actually overusing your body and you're doing way too much training to what you should. So something will always hurt, but you just have to know when it's too much and when you need to stop and when it's okay to push through a little bit. But that's not something I would advise for someone getting ready for state titles or, you know, yeah. it, it's not worth it in the long run. Well, that's a great example of that short-term versus long-term dichotomy, right? Where it is funny because I see this where, you know, maybe I'll train with people who are incredible elite level athletes, but they have to sacrifice so much in the short term to peak for these goals and to win for these goals. They have to make so many sacrifices that over the long run, like if I wait 10, 15, 20 years, I might wind up being way in way better shape than they are down the road, right? Like it's, that's actually one of the weird things I find is that, I mean, when I was young, I always kind of felt jealous of these guys who were, you know, super athletes and they would just come into the gym and tear shit up. But now I realize like as as an old guy, I just, I'm just going to wait the long game because I know that all of you young guys are going to get old eventually and you're going to have a lot of injuries <laughs> and it's going to yeah. get to the point where, it, you know, I know a lot of people who they've had to, they've had to retire and permanently stop training jujitsu because they eventually suffered injuries so severe that even casual training was off the plate now. So it's, it's, it's a tricky decision that you have to make if you want to win the big thing, right? You may have to sacrifice so much in the short term that it actually closes the door on, on long term. I mean, it's a, it's a challenge and I feel for a lot of athletes. And I think that most, most probably don't think consciously enough about what this means to them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, like it's, uh, and I'm only really aware of that the older I get, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely just over push it with my body all the time. So, yeah, it, it's something you have to learn, or you could be clever from the start and and avoid all of that. But a lot of people don't listen, you know, to <laughs> because it, it's it's fun. Like it's really fun to train hard for me anyway, not mm-hmm. for everyone. Yeah, I I remember when I was when I was younger, I took pride in how hard I trained. And now, man, just as I get older, like I'm lucky if I get a few sessions. I mean, not not this year. This year's been a wash, but prior to that, 
even if I just get a few sessions in a week, I'm happy, right? Like to just keep the ball moving becomes enough of a goal in and of itself that that as long as I can say like I actually was able to show up and train today, just like I did the other day, you know, it, it that in itself becomes enough of a victory that I'm happy with it. One thing I would want to pick your brain on, you know, as yeah. you you're going down this journey, is there any advice that you have for other for other women who train jujitsu, whether they be competitive athletes or, or more on the casual side, just in terms of things they can or maybe should do while pregnant, just for the benefit of their health, for longevity, and anything you found that you thought, wow, this really worked for me during this time? Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> I am doing this for the first time as well. So a lot of the times I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and, and I like I have been a high-level athlete for 30 years now, I think. You know, I've been yeah, a gymnast for 12 years and a sprint cyclist for six years. And now for the last 11 years or so, I've been doing jiu-jitsu. So I think it probably, like in terms of exercise, it really depends on what your body's used to and the load it's used to. So some people look at me doing chin-ups or whatever and they go, oh my God, like you're training a lot. But I am not training a lot for me, you know, like for me to greatly reduce load. But for someone who's never exercised before to do what I'm doing now, would be definitely not advised during pregnancy. So you, you just have to know, like, where did you come from? What can you handle? How tired do you get doing it? Like, you have to remember that at the moment, my primary function is actually growing a human, you know, and it's hard to remember that sometimes. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you feel like crap a lot of the time. I'm sure there's some women that, like, loving being pregnant and it's all butterflies and rainbows. For me, it's like, you know, I can't have the amount of coffee I want. I can't eat certain things. I can't exercise the way I want. I can't, you know, if I'm tired, I'd usually exercise more and I actually have to sleep. So I'm not very efficient when I'm working at the moment. I forget stuff. Like the other day I was teaching a class and I literally forget, forgot the word for hand. <laughs> that thing at the end of your wrist. Like I was just like, I, my brain's melting, but I think what's helped is, especially in the first trimester, is if you're feeling sick, eating a little bit actually helps. I think for me, the biggest thing has been giving up control over my body. So it just just body weight, actually. You know, it, it's a it's an interesting thing where for years and years, uh, I've never I never really did sport apart from gymnastics, uh, but that's a whole new story <laughs> about. To, like to look a certain way. My body looked a certain way because I trained and because I did jiu-jitsu and then it looked a certain way again depending what weight class I was competing at. It was never for, you know, like, oh, I want to have a six-pack. It was like what do I need to weigh or what weight do I have the best cardio and I'm strong enough that I don't break sort of thing. Whereas it's very out of your control when you're pregnant, You know, for, for me anyway. I, I, I'm aware that you gaining a lot of fat because you have to, to for your body to support breastfeeding and, and support growing a baby. And there's not much you can do about that. You know, I exercise a lot for someone who's pregnant and I eat pretty healthy with the occasional snack, but you can't control that. So giving up the control over my body and the way I think I always look in my head has been challenging, but it is what it is. And the, the most amazing thing is that you're actually growing a baby and you're going to have 
a human out of this. So it, it's this whole, you know, like being perfectly honest, it's this whole thing like you can think that pregnancy is absolutely incredible and amazing, which it is, and be we are so stoked. It took us a little while to get here. So we're absolutely stoked that I'm actually pregnant. But at the same time, I'm not enjoying every step out of, you know, like it's not that fun. Like you're just clumsy and you can't move and you're kind of big and fat and everything's expanding. And, you know, it's okay to feel like that, I think. <laughs> it's It's funny you bring that up because, you know, there is this weird like you know, stereotype of, oh, she's pregnant and she's glowing and she's happy all the time. Yeah. I kind of wonder if that's something that Hollywood or the advertising industry made up, because let me tell you, I mean, I've been through this. Yeah. I know a lot of women who have been through this. I don't think I've ever seen a woman who all the way through for the nine months is like, oh yeah, this is way better than before. It's so easy. I'm so happy. It's like, no, it's a, it's a hard job because like you said, you basically have a, like a tenant in your body that you are now responsible for. And I, I think that a, you know, a, a man, no matter how sympathetic can never truly understand what that's like. Right. I mean, it's, it's very, very hard. And I mean, of course, again, with pregnancy, I, I can't speak to the psychology of that, but as a father and a parent, I remember the day my baby was born, yeah. it totally changed my psychology. Like wow. the things that, that mattered to me the day before my baby was born and the things afterward that mattered to me, it was like a light switch went off. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't like there was this, oh, big, overwhelming, emotional, lovey dovey thing. It's just like, I don't know how to describe it other than to say there was a duty. And my, my, my reason for living, it changed. There was a, there was a duty now that I had that had to trump everything else. And it just, it came on like a light switch. I remember I used to be, you know, I used to be really sensitive about things like my body image and stuff like that. But after the baby was born, I don't care anymore. It's just dad bought all the time. It's like the, the priority now is what the baby needs. And so much of my well being at this point and the things that make me happy in life, come from what makes my daughter happy. Whereas before, you know, I, I look yeah. back at the things that used to make me happy and they were all very much about things I could do for myself. Yeah. You know, it, things that I enjoy doing, I would do to make myself happy. But I found find now there's this weird mirror effect where I, I can't wait to make my daughter happy because making her happy makes me happy. It's this weird symbiotic relationship and it's crazy how quickly my psychology changed. And I can only imagine that that the mother who, you know, they start the experience much earlier in than the father, probably they're going through all of these changes way before it becomes dad's time to start having to reassess things. Yeah, I mean, it would be harder because you're not, I guess, like initially you can't be as attached or the baby isn't as attached to you because they're kind of relying on the mother for yeah. for life if you are breastfeeding. But even, you know, with the just body contact and the smell and, and everything, the baby is used to that when they're very new. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I'm yet to experience, to be honest. Like I've, I've had a pretty... I guess a selfish life for most of my life. Like I've, I've done, you know, I've been able to study and work where I want to and, and train and compete all over the world and kind of go like, yep, I'll teach a seminar next week in another country. And it's been, even though I've got responsibilities, it's been largely for me or, or for the future at least. So it's definitely going to change a lot the way I prioritize and and even with you know competing or like a question I get asked all the time is like oh when are you coming back are you going to do the trials are you going to do this well like I want to it would be great because I actually really miss competing but I don't know what I'll be like after I give birth I might decide that like a gold medal I just don't care about it anymore like I I have no idea how I'll feel so I'm leaving it really open minded even though like I'm aiming like 
if the pandemic is somewhat controlled, you know, mm-hmm. I want to do Nogi Worlds and I want to do ADCC trials and I want to do Gi Worlds next year, but I have no idea what I'll be like. So I'm just kind of not putting any pressure on that either. Yeah, I think I think that's good to keep an open mind. I mean, I definitely went through this myself as a father. I remember yeah. before I had a kid, I remember looking at people who had kids and thinking, oh, you mean you got to give up all the things you enjoy to, you know, to babysit this kid and take this kid around? That sounds like hell on earth. You know, you don't get to do anything you want to do. And I thought, oh, this is going to be so rough. I I don't get to go to jujitsu whenever I want. I don't get to play video games. I don't get to go to like a nice restaurant. I have to give up everything to babysit this kid. That's going to be terrible. That's what I thought. What I didn't understand was when you have a kid, your whole psychology changes. So it's not so much that, you know, it's not so much about whether I want to do these other things. It's more that the things you enjoy change. So suddenly now, you know, before maybe my idea of like a fun evening would be to, you know, catch a movie or something, right? Or go to jujitsu and go to like a seminar. But now like my idea of a much more fun thing might be just to take the kid and go see the grandparents. Like that might be the the most valuable thing I could do in my life that I would enjoy the most. And I kind of look back on the stuff I used to enjoy and I'm like, I just, I don't feel it anymore. You know, I, I don't love it the way that I used to because my whole world perspective has changed. So th- that's very possible, right? You might, you might come back after this and just it, the stuff that you did before just might not interest you because you now have this totally different perspective. Yeah. I'm I'm so excited for you and Lachlan to see, to see how you guys deal with this, to see what the kids like and how you find it. I love to talk experiences with you. I hope Lachlan just like gets a dad bod and just sits around and plays video games. That would make me tremendously happy. I I would feel good about myself if Lachlan were on my level. He'll probably, uh, he'll probably play video games. We'll see about the, the dead bod. I mean, like Lockie's kind of like me. We've just trained for so many years, you know, like the, the, I guess fattest, if you can call him that we've, um, I've seen him, he's like during lockdown where he put on about two or three kilos and then he loses that in like after a week of training. So it will be interesting, but I think, I don't know, we'll try to maintain our lifestyles and like, I guess we both do jiu-jitsu for a living really. So hopefully we'll adapt somehow and I'll go back to teaching. And I think it is important to maintain that sense of identity. And I think especially Mm -hmm. for women, I don't know, some women... Some women, like, they just want to be a mother and that's absolutely okay. You know, I've got friends and and sisters who, like, from a very early age, they wanted to be a mum, whereas I've been the opposite. I, like, you know, I've wanted, I was like, I suppose we should try because I'm getting older, but I've never had that massive maternal drive. And I think it's really important for me to maintain that sense of identity and, and do something for me as well. I think it just makes me a better person. I don't get so bitchy and, and moody and <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree a hundred percent on that. And my, my wife and I felt the same way. I mean, we were never yeah. like, you know, baby, baby, baby people, but like yeah. you, we realized that the window was closing and it was something we wanted yeah. to do always. So we did, but she has said the exact same thing, which is that society she feels often has this expectation on the mother that they must yeah. sacrifice their identity for the benefit yeah. of the child, but society does not place that expectation on the father. And it's very unfair. Yeah. And it is very important, I think, for your your mental well-being to maintain your sense of identity and not just sacrifice everything for your kid. This is something that I 
I have struggled with is I see people who they're like super moms or super dads, right? Like everything they do is about the kid and they're always doing these big, crazy events and having parties. And like the kid looks like they're living this dream life. I mean, I'm, I'm not like that. Right. I mean, yeah, we, we do our best with our kid, but at the end of the day, you know, sometimes you need a mental break. Sometimes you need to prioritize your own time. And I, I think that a life that is fully dedicated to sacrifice for your child, I'm not sure that's a good idea. I mean, if, if that's what you want out of life, then I'm not going to tell you that's right or wrong. But I feel that a lot of women, especially, are pressured to make that sacrifice unfairly. I think so. And I think there's just a lot of judgment, from, especially from other women, you know, like, I, oh boy. I, I mean, not from my friends, like we've all been, because there's, I think the, the whole lockdown thing has prompted people to reevaluate what they want and and especially not having competitions, jiu-jitsu athletes were very affected. So a lot of the girls in my gym are actually pregnant or have just given birth at the moment. And, you know, like we don't judge each other. Like you don't want to train, don't train. You want to train, train, we'll support you. You know, it's everyone's very different. But sometimes you go on the forums or, or people that don't know you and they they have very, very strong opinions about your birth or about what you're doing during pregnancy, about your size, about everything and i just think it's absolutely insane <laughs> oh boy like it's, it's no one's business and everyone does things differently just like in all parts of your life you know but oh the way you parent your kid or i just think i don't know it's maybe because i'm a little bit older i just think it's crazy i've got a slightly different perspective yeah people on the internet telling you what you can and can't do with your body is really kind of the worst things about the internet i mean i feel bad for you guys being public figures like this you probably i mean we get some of this crap sometimes too so i can only imagine that you and Lockie get it like a hundred times the worse than we do uh no look i honestly don't get it too much i just don't respond uh, i think i get asked advice quite a lot which i'm not um like advice about well if we're talking specifically about pregnancy but i think it's a very hard thing to answer because i am not an expert at it mm-hmm. and i think people should yeah talk to their own doctors or, or obstetricians or you know a, a specialist or read some studies because last thing you want to do is give someone wrong advice yes but then it has pretty big consequences it's not just like a sprained ankle not that that's not important but yeah, I think you have to be very careful what you tell people and and how you tell people things. Well, that's one of the things I love about having you and Lachlan on the show is you guys clearly come from a, a very educated perspective and you're always hesitant to prescribe something that will work for everyone, quote unquote, just because yeah. it worked for you. You know, everyone's body is such a unique and subjective experience and pregnancy even beyond that. Like that's that's two human beings who are tied up in this yeah. thing. So no one's pregnancy is the same. And I think it's important that the people understand, yes, you can, you can talk to people and ask them for their experience and ask them what worked and didn't for them. But at the end of the day, you have to remember that everyone's experience in this is a very unique journey. And, you know, the best thing to do is listen to the experts, listen to your own body, right? Not, I think that's far better than just saying, oh, well, my friend did X, Y, Z, so I should do the same, right? It's, this is an area where you definitely want to have the best information and make the best decision possible. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, look, yeah, I think it teaches you a lot about what you can and can't do. And this is probably the first time in my life I've actually listened to my body. You know, if I'm feeling a little bit under the weather or not, I just don't train that day and I go and rest and it's very unusual for me, but it, I don't know, you just, (laughs) I guess I had to grow up and actually be a bit more responsible and it does make me feel better. So 
yeah, it's it's been interesting so far. <laughs> well, I do appreciate you coming by and sharing your insight. I mean, this this is the kind of topic that actually I think is super interesting to explore and and honestly not talked about enough, right? I think that this kind of conversation is something that people are expected to just I either you know, when it comes to pregnancy, just kind of fly solo when it comes to jujitsu. Like, I think, again, yeah. there is this expectation with moms, especially that what they have to do is sacrifice everything. And it's yeah. like, your life is now about the baby. I don't think that's healthy. And I think it's important that people realize like, you've got a lot of variables you have to balance. And the best yeah. thing to do is get the best information you can and make the right decision here. Absolutely. And I think what makes it hard is not many people, or I mean, doctors, or obstetricians know what jiu-jitsu is so it is actually hard to explain but you know like often like showing a video or actually explaining what you're doing and explaining to people what level you're at is really important and just having really good communication with your training partners and what you want to do and your body I think is really important as well but I think women especially have to remember that they're experts in their own bodies and if someone tries to give you I don't think people mean anything bad by giving you unsolicited advice but People have to realize that women are experts in their own body. They've been in that body for, you know, since they were born. And if they listen to someone who, an authority who actually knows this stuff, they're probably right and you're probably wrong. Let <laughs> <So laughs> people be, I think. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, one last question I have for you, yeah. and I, I have to ask, have you figured out any ways to weaponize the baby bump? Because like I would, I would assume, for example, if you mount someone, like I would assume you could generate a lot of baby bump pressure. I, I would assume that there are some combat advantages to having like that, basically a giant kettlebell that you can use against people. Well, yeah, see, mount is getting hard because I can't just like press down really hard because <laughs> that that's uncomfortable. But often like I'll just say, you know, it's two on one. I, I don't know that I have more pressure, but I'm definitely heavier. So I've probably put on six kilos already. So I feel bad for my tiny training partners. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm like a weighted vest and every week it gets worse and worse. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't honestly say that I've uh, I've used this to my advantage apart from that people are not fighting me with all their skills mm. because of safety. So sometimes I'll pass or, you know, take the back or whatever because... I'm heavier and because they're not fighting me for real. So, yeah, yeah, I can't say it's been that much of an advantage. And the other thing is you get really, really puffed. So, yeah, it, it's <laughs> not sure that the baby's a weapon, but I, we do laugh and saying it's, you know, it's two on one when I feel heavy on top. It's, it's like one of those street defense situations, right? How do you deal with the two-on-one attacker situation? Just probably yeah. not the way that people envisioned when they were thinking about this. Probably not. But, yeah, look. <laughs> It's sometimes like self-defense gets scary. Like not that I ever want to, like my self-defense is running away, but that's something I've had to think about a bit more, like walking to the car alone, like at 9.30 PM after the gym is shut. We live in, oh, the gym is an area where there's a, f a few prostitutes around. And I don't want to do that anymore because mm -hmm. not that I ever want to defend myself against a, a man who might be on drugs, but I'll have a much better chance. Whereas now, I don't want to do that. So I always have someone walk me to my car or, you know, get lucky to come back and, and walk me to my car because that that's the things you have to think about. I like, I can fight, but I really don't want to because I might hurt both of us. 
Yeah, yeah. Your priorities change a lot when suddenly there is another person that you're responsible for. Yeah. That's that's something that I noticed is that when I was when I was a dad, I could no longer make decisions based on what was safe or beneficial for me. It's suddenly there's this other person who has like override capabilities. And if if they need something, what I want is honestly kind of irrelevant. And it really does change your decision-making, but it it's interesting too, because it also helps you think from a bigger picture because, you know, so many of us, especially those like yourself who are pro athletes, you know, it's very much your, there, there's one variable in your life decision-making and that's you. And suddenly when there's other people in that orbit too, now you kind of, you get almost like a 30,000 foot, foot view of things. And I've actually found that big picture, it's helped me to think a lot more strategically because now I'm much more aware of the other people around me and what's impacting them and how my decisions impact them. So it's been a, it's been a heck of a ride, I'll tell you. And on that note, I can hear my my four-year-old screaming and arguing with her mother in the background. So I believe that is my cue to go and be super dad. I guess I would say if people want to check out your your progress picks or if they want to learn more about you and Lockheed's gyms and other services, how do they find you guys? Uh, yeah, so you can on Facebook, Livia Giles, Instagram, I think I'm Livia underscore Giles. I think Lockie is Lachlan underscore Giles. So we train at Absolute MMA, come and check it out. We try to be somewhat active on, especially on Instagram, I think. But yeah, any questions, always drop us a message as well. We We try to answer as many as we can. Awesome. Awesome. And of course, for those who want to get in contact with us, bjjmentalmodels.com. We've got a full database of all the concepts we talk about here on the show, plus a contact form. And as always, this is a subscription service. The podcast is free, but our subscribers are what keep the lights on. You can go to patreon.com slash bjjmentalmodels if you want to check out the specifics. Again, patreon.com slash bjjmentalmodels. Livia, thanks again so much for joining us. I know you got to run, but I thought this was a really cool chat. Love to have yeah. you back on the show at some point. And hey, especially after the kids come, I would yeah. love to have like a new mom and dad brainstorming with you and uh, yeah, Lachlan. Let's just to see, how, see how tired and stressed out you guys are oh, all the time. <laughs> I can't wait to see that. But uh, yeah, I would love to. It'll be interesting to see, you know, just mentality and the reality of it that we don't yet know so yeah 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 it'll be very interesting (laughs) awesome well well, thank you again so much i do greatly appreciate it and of course thanks to everyone else who's listening and we'll talk to you guys next week bye thanks for having me